King of Kings is what we're celebrating this month. It is Christmas season, and Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we will celebrate that all. We will recognize that all month long, and hopefully all year long would be ideal in that. But uh, but this is specific to this time of, of year. And, and if you have not checked out the online devotions that go with this series, I really want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we, we have there's one per week for family, one per week for individual. And so it's not an everyday thing that overwhelms you, but it's an opportunity to connect with the messages as they go. Last week was was fantastic. We did our family devotion Thursday night and it landed right where we were walking as a family. It couldn't have been any better for us. And so I, I thank God that that happened when it did. I was to encourage you take advantage of all that you have to really lean into Jesus this season. Um, don't let the busyness, like Susie prays, don't let the busyness overwhelm you that you're too exhausted to really see this season for what it is. Enjoy every moment with Jesus, and I think that that will, that will enhance your, your Christmas season so much better. Um, I want to, to start with a quote. Vince Lombardi uh, once said, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. And I thought, man, that's, there's some truth in that right there. And, and not, now not to say you can't be a gracious loser, but he said, show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. I don't think that we were created to lose. I don't think that God designed us and said, yeah, I hope that you go on a dead sprint for mediocrity. Like, I don't think that's his goal. I don't think he said, I'm going to make you in my image and I'm going to make you average. Because I'm going to make you in my image and you're going to be my most magnificent creation. You're his, his handiwork, his masterpiece that's there. And I think we were made to win. I don't think we were made to lose. I think we were made to win. And, and so winning is a part. I am a big fan of winning. I do not enjoy losing. I'm not a good loser. Uh, that's gotten me in trouble at times in the past. But I, I think about the, the victories that I've had. I love looking at that banner up there 20 years ago. A bunch of high school girls let me uh, call myself coach, but they're the ones who won the state championship. But, man, that was awesome. That was a fantastic thing. I can tell you that my son and daughter, Colby and Molly, I have never purposely let them win any game we've ever played. Uh, this doesn't happen. Uh, whether we're playing Exploding Kittens or whether we're playing Phase 10 or Candyland, Shoots and Ladders, it doesn't matter. I'm going to win. I'm out to win. And uh, I won't cheat to win, but uh, I won't get caught cheating to win. But I, uh, I've never purposely let them, them win at that. If I'm playing Tiddly Winch with my grandma, I'm going to win is, is what it is. But I believe Jesus liked to win, too. Uh, I, I do. If I look at all the stories of Jesus, uh, to me, it looks like he's undefeated. I, I don't think losing was even an option for him in that there. The difference is he was competing for more than bragging rights and banners. He was, confi- com- he was competing for our souls in eternity. Now, spoiler alert, he won. I, just, I want you to know that. Uh, I read the end of the book and he won in this kind of stuff. Um, that's why we celebrate the victorious king. That's why it's important that we look not just to this birth of a baby, but the victorious life that he lived, the victorious king that he is. And we celebrate that. And I think that's, that's important to do that. But in order to have victory, you have to defeat something. There has to be something for you to defeat, right? Like, like Texas defeating Georgia last year. Like, but that won't happen this year. But anyway, um, but my, my, my thought is this, is that all of us in here either have recently are currently or about to be facing something that we need to defeat. And whether it's a struggle, an addiction, a situation, or whatever, we've got storms that come in our lives. We have to decide how we're going to respond to them. And we're sometimes thinking, what am I going to do to win? How do I win this battle, this struggle, this storm that I'm facing? How do I win this? How do I have victory? Spoiler alert number two, only with Jesus. So we can close and be done now because that's, that's, that's the whole truth of everything. 
But the question you have to ask yourself to start this thing is this. Am I a cow or a buffalo? Let me explain what's happened. In, in Colorado, the storms typically roll in west to east is how it happens on the plains of Colorado. And, and, and animals have a sense when storms are coming. I don't know if they've all had knee surgery or something, but they all have this sense when a storm is, is coming. Now, if you're a cow, what cows do in a situation where storms are coming, they sense the storm is coming, they start running away from the storm. That's what they do. They just they go after they start running away from the storm. Well, cows are not very fast. The storm catches them pretty quickly. And not only catches them, it just stays on top of them for a long time. And so as they run, they continue to be in the storm and have to go through a whole lot more than they should have to go through. Even if they just stood still, the storm would pass quickly. But they're going to try to run from it, and they're going to keep running from it, and they get maximum pain, maximum hurt, maximum damage, maximum everything, because they're trying to run away from it. Matter of fact, they'll run away from it to the point that if they hit a fence, they won't know what to do. And so they'll all just pile up right there, and the weak ones go to the bottom, and they get crushed until there's a ramp they can climb over the fence. And then they'll run into another fence. They just keep running to maximize the amount of pain that the storm is going to do to them. Now, a buffalo, on the other hand, is a unique creature. A buffalo, when it senses a storm is coming, will turn its face into the storm and run as hard as it can into the storm. Now, is it going to hurt for a little bit? Yes. But it's going to shrink the amount of time you have to go through, and it makes them stronger as a result because they're going against it, and they come out of it quicker on the other side. That's the animal kingdom. And they're not supposed to be as smart as we are. But my experience tells me in my own life and what I've observed in others' lives is there's a lot more cows than buffaloes running around. And we choose to try to run from something and have to suffer through the maximum amount through it when if we would just turn our face towards that storm and go through it. Now, I will tell you this. I believe Jesus was a buffalo. You've probably never heard Jesus called a buffalo before. But I believe he was a buffalo, and I've got Scripture to back it up. So if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Mark chapter 4. This is a time where Jesus had to face a storm. This is when the situation came. It's one of many. You could pick any number of, of, of passages to illustrate this, but this one really hits home, and, and hopefully you'll grab a hold of it in this season and see why he is the victorious king, right? So here's what happens with this. Mark chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 35. So we're towards the end of the chapter if you want to go there. It says, that day when evening came, he, being Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. I love that word. We don't use that word often enough. I guess one of my goals in 2020 is to use the word squall more often. I think it would be furious squall, an angry squall. Like, this is not just a, a nice little squall. It's not a little bitty squall. This is a furious squall. This thing is angry, right? So a furious squall that came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like, it wasn't, Teacher, you might drown. We should probably do something. No, it was very inward focused. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is about me. Look at me. You're asleep. Look at me. Verse 30, uh, 39. He got up, he being Jesus there, got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Like, can you imagine the authority of that voice in that moment? He wakes up from this nap, probably stretches, sees this storm going on and walks outside and goes, quiet, be still. And look what happened. 
Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. That's amazing to me. Here's what you have to understand, is that Jesus is not under any obligation to calm your storm. Sometimes he chooses not to calm your storm, sometimes he chooses to calm you in the storm. But I promise you, he's still the Prince of Peace. And that that applies to nature and it applies to us. It just decides who he decides to apply it to. In this moment, he applied it to nature. And the wind died down and the calm, calm came. Then he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Because obviously this wasn't the first time he asked that question. <laughs> Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, that's a strong story right there of a storm. And, and, and I would argue that Jesus chose to be a buffalo in that storm. Jesus did not choose to, to run from the storm. He chose to face the storm head on. And he was able to calm it immediately with his voice. Now, here's the deal. Storms are easy to recognize in the weather. They're much more difficult to recognize in our homes, in our souls, in our marriages, in our hearts, in our jobs, in all the things that we face. See, because we tend to put on this big show that everything looks fine, so we don't see the storms in other people's lives. We can see the weather when the wind and the hail and the lightning and the thunder. We recognize the physical side of it, but the internal side of it, we've got to be careful and remember that chances are good someone's going through a storm that you know. And maybe it's you. This season tends to bring storms. Whether we're together so much as a family, it causes storms. Maybe it's death that has caused that or divorce that has caused that. It's our first season through that. There are storms that come that are unique to this time of year as well. And we need to look for victory from the victorious king. That's what we need to do. And this story allows us to do that. So I, I, I don't know what your furious squall is right now. I don't know what that thing is that popped up that you didn't see coming and all of a sudden was on you and it was screaming on you and the waves are coming over and you're kind of freaking out. I don't know what that squall is, but God does. And he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And we have a chance now to learn how to have victory in these storms like Jesus did because he's the victorious king. So I'm going to give you five things you can experience victory over the storms. And I will just be honest with you in this. If you don't hear anything else, hear point number one. I think it's amazing. I think it's fantastic. It rocked my world in this. And all the other four points don't matter if you don't get point number one. So listen up closely to this first point. Because the first thing you need to know is this. You need to remember the promise. You know, that's not rocket science, Alan. What are you talking about? Remember the promise. Look at the very first part of this thing, this scripture. When, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Jesus made a promise. We're going to the other side, boys. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say it would be uh, just a, a little, like a yacht cruise over there. He didn't say it wouldn't be difficult. There wouldn't be challenges. There wouldn't be storms. But he promised to get to the other side. See, too often we forget that. See, because that promise is still true today. Now, are we getting on a boat and going on a lake and going across the other side with Jesus? No, but we've got eternity that hangs in the balance of our choices. And he's promised we can get to the other side if we will go with him. 
He says, I want to get you to the other side. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you to take you to be where I am. That's the promise that's still true today. Whatever you're going through, as hard as it may be, as difficult as it is, as as challenging as it may be, the promise is still true. You're going to the other side. Isn't that great to hold on to? But I don't ever hold on to that like I should because I get so focused on my circumstances. Well, look at the season we're in. We're Christmas. There was a promise made too. The angel showed up. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He didn't say just a baby. A Savior. Lots of babies have grown up to be kings. One king became a baby. That's the promise that came with that. I will get you to the other side. I'll get you there. You're not alone in this thing. I got you. That's such an incredible promise that we have there. He's going to prepare a place and he's going to come back. And even said, in this world, you will have trouble. He even gave you that warning. The disciples didn't see it coming on the lake, but he's told us that in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He's already done it. He's laid the foundation. The groundwork is there. The road is made. The path, a path is clear to get to the other side that's there. So you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. When we forget the promise, we lose heart. When we remember the promise, we get to take heart. But it's your choice. Remember the promise because everything is built on that. Everything. And the promise of this coming king that showed up as a baby, like, well, it's not a great foundation. It's a baby. But look what happened 33 years later. We'll get to that. One, remember the promise. Second thing he said in this, he said, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. You want to experience victory? Leave the crowd behind. You know, in, in sports, there's just one winner. One guy won the Heisman last night, right? One team's going to win the college football play. One, there's one victory, right? One that, that takes place in that. The winner separates themselves from everybody else. The winner separates themselves from the crowd. See, that's, that's what happens. You have to leave the crowd behind because there's, there's something different. See, everybody wants to be an overcomer until they're given something to overcome. Or maybe that's just true for me. Because I love that. I mean, I'm an overcomer. I'm more than conqueror through Jesus. I love this thing right here. And then a trouble comes. Like, I don't want to conquer that. I want to complain. This isn't fair. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. This isn't how I dreamed it to be. My children are supposed to behave in every situation and never push back. What a fool am I to think that? I think back to what kind of a kid I was. Ooh, man. Turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek. I mean, I only got two cheeks to turn, right? Like, I, I just want to complain. I, I want to, I want to throw it out there and say, this isn't right. This isn't fair. It's not about that. It's about leaving the crowd behind and not complaining about this because the crowd wants to complain and focus on the, focus on the negative. And Jesus said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right, that, that's where our eyes are supposed to be. They're supposed to be lifted up to that. We put our eyes on Jesus, not on the crowd, because when we're on the crowd, we tend to drift with it. When our eyes are on Jesus, we tend to drift away from it. And he said, leave the crowd behind. Victory comes when we leave the crowd behind. Does that mean you're going to be alone? No. Jesus said, I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you to the end of the age. Like, you've got the promise still. 
Number two, leave the crowd behind. Number three is this. And this is not rocket science, I get it. Number three, take Jesus with you. Well, duh. I mean, that seems pretty obvious. Take Jesus with you, right? Well, it wasn't in this scripture right here. Because if, if you look what it says right there, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. Jesus was in their boat, but there were other boats around too. So I guess the question we have to ask is, who's in your boat? Because who's in your boat matters. Who you let in your boat matters as you cross the storms of life. Who is in your boat? Is Jesus in your boat? Or is he just in another boat that's nearby and as long as you can see him, that's good enough? Well, I'll just, I'll just show up for church and that's good enough. No, it's not. God didn't call us to go to church. He called us to be the church. He's more concerned with what happens when we walk out the doors than we walk in them. If this is your focus of the whole thing, you're missing the best part of a relationship with Jesus. Put him in your boat. Is he in your boat? Or is he just a sometimes passenger? Is he just a life preserver? Or is he your life? See, that matters who's in your boat. And these guys took Jesus with them in the boat. See, in, in John 15, 5, John 15 says that he is the vine and we are the branches. Now, if you've ever cut trees or trimmed your bushes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you trim those branches away and they go over, what happens to the branches? They die. See, we need Jesus in our boat, not just near our boat. Apart from him, we can do nothing, including have victory in the storms. Who's in your boat? Number four, fear is not allowed. It is not a welcome guest on your boat, or at least it shouldn't be. Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? I think he's still asking that question today. And my answer is simply this. Have you seen the size of the storm? Have you seen the damage it's done? Do you not see how much I'm hurting? Do you not see what this is doing to my family? Do you not see what this is doing in my life? Do you not see this? That's why I'm afraid, God, because it didn't go the way I wanted it to. It's like, I know, because it's the only way I want it to. But my control nature wants to control it. It's my way. I know what's best. I know me. You don't know me. He says, I created you. I know how many hairs are on your head, which is not difficult. But I also know what's in your heart that no one else sees. I also know the fear that you have. I also know the way you try to control things. I also know the way that you doubt me. Gosh, don't call me out on that, God. That doesn't feel very good. See, fear is counting on you forgetting who Jesus is. But faith reminds you what God's already done for you. Fear is the enemy of faith. They are not able to coexist in the same boat. If fear is on your boat, faith is not. If faith is on your boat, fear is not. That's why he says in the Bible all the time, fear not, fear not, fear not. We know that he knows that fear is trying to invite itself into all of our boats. But we have to post Jesus and say, nope, nope, you're not welcome here. Faith is welcome on this boat, not fear. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying you want to experience the victorious king? Then kick fear out of your boat. Let faith into your boat. That's what's got to happen in that. Fear makes you play not to lose. Faith makes you play to win. Coach taught me that a long time ago when I was in high school. Friends, you're going to play to not lose or you're going to play to win. Because if you play to not lose, you're going to lose. You play to win, you're going to find victory. That, that has stayed with me all my life. 
And I think it's even more true in our walk with Christ. I think it's powerful in that there. We walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. I know the storm is big, but I also know God is bigger. Quit looking at God through the lens of the storm and start looking at the storm through the lens of God. You'll have victory. And number five is this. Wake up your faith. Wake up your faith. Jesus was asleep in this story, right? He was asleep on a cushion up in the stern. And it's easy to focus on that, that Jesus was asleep and didn't seem to care. But it wasn't Jesus that needed to be woken up in that situation. It was their faith. Their faith needed to be woken up. Four times just in the book of Matthew, Jesus called out the disciples for having little faith. I don't know what it's going to take for us to quit relying on our strength and our faith and start relying on Jesus's, but that needs to happen this season. It's amazing how we love to, to have our eternal faith in Jesus. Oh man, I trust you with my eternity. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to burn. I, I trust you with my eternity and, and I, it's going to be great and I'm going to go to heaven. It's going to be awesome. But am I trusting him with my everyday faith too? Am I trusting him with the diagnosis? Am I trusting him with the job search? Am I trusting him with what the unknown future is? Am I trusting him with that? It's time to wake up our faith and know that, yes, the storm's coming, but you're going to get to the other side. The promise still holds true in our marriages, in our parenting, in where we're going to go to college, what we're going to do with our lives. It's true in all of that. And if we're not using the lens of Jesus to look at this storm, the storm's going to seem awful big. Is your faith asleep? Is it dormant? Is it in hibernation? Oh, I've got it. It's in my pocket. It's, it's there. It's on my keychain. I'll pull it out when I need it. Or does it need to come alive again? It's what this season is about. It's opportunities galore to talk about Jesus. I would be willing to bet every single one of your neighborhoods has at least one nativity in somebody's front yard. It gets out there. It's not separate anymore. Is our faith awake enough to have those conversations? Is it awake enough to put our our trust in him for what's next? Is it awake enough that we're going to yell at him to fix what's going on? Or are we going to trust in him to fix what's going on? It doesn't work when my kids yell at me doesn't work when I yell at my kids either. But when they trust me, man, great things happen. When I trust them and believe in them, great things happen. That's four of the most powerful words we can tell people and we can tell God. I believe in you. But you've got to. It's got to start with you on that. So there's your five points. Remember the promise. Leave the crowd behind. Take Jesus with you. Fear is not allowed. Wake up your faith. I want to tell a story. The, the Cheyenne Indians were a fierce tribe. Uh, they were known for their ability to fight. Um, they, they were pretty strong warriors and all of that. Well, the, the Cheyenne in particular had one guy in their tribe that was called the dog soldier. Now, I went way too deep in a wormhole studying this stuff. Probably way more than I should have. But it's fascinating to me. And, and this, this idea of a dog soldier was, 
was pretty important to the Cheyenne tribe. So what would happen is when they would go into battle and, and all the guys are coming in on their horses and, and whoever they're fighting against is on the other side and, and the fighting is getting its fiercest. And it's right there to that moment of, are we going to win? Are we going to lose? What's going to happen? You know that in ball games as well. It's that critical moment where a decision has to be made or something's going to go on. There's a turnover or there's a, a big hit or, or something that goes on that, that's going to signify the game and somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose because of that defining moment. Well, in that moment, what the dog soldier would do, he would jump off of his horse. And he had a rope tied around his ankle. And at the other end of that rope was a stake. And he would jump off his horse. He would take that stake and he would hammer it into the ground and say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to fight till we win. And all the other guys would see that and go, me too, I'm in. And it would just rally the troops. They would come in firing. They would go after it. And more times than not, they won those battles. And the dog soldier was the one that was the critical piece that pushed it over to victory right there. You think, man, it's a really good Indian story. What does that have to do with Christmas? Jesus was the ultimate dog soldier. When the fighting got worse for our souls and eternity was in the balance, he jumped out of heaven, came to earth, put his stake in the ground. It was called a cross, chose to get nailed to it and say, I'm not going anywhere until the victory is won. I'm going nowhere because victory is important for these people that were made in my image. And I'm going to fight for them to the death. And I will be here till the end. I'm not going anywhere. And that cross still is in the ground today. And we can still look at it and say, thank you for what you did. And the enemy thought, hey, we won. Look at him. He died on that cross. This is great. She's like, yeah, go ahead and think that. Because three days later, what happened? He got up from the grave. And I know I'm giving an Easter message at Christmas, but if we're going to experience victory, we got to go to the cross we got to go. And he never would have gotten to the cross if he didn't come down to earth in December or whatever time it was when he came. This is important to know that he is the man that chose to get off of his throne, come down to this dirty place of earth and put his stake in the ground. And he's calling us out to say, do you remember that promise I made? Do you remember that? See, that's important. We talk about wanting to have victory. We talk about wanting to live in victory. Well, he's already invited you onto the winning team. Why are we not living like it? Why are we letting the storm win when Jesus has already declared victory? He put his stake in the ground and nothing can beat it. He conquered sin and death in one fell swoop for you. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't need it. We did. I did. And he did it for me. I'll be your dog soldier, Alan. I'll put that stake in the ground and show you that you're worth fighting for. You're worth dying for. You're worth raising from the dead for. That's why Christmas is so special. Because it starts us on the journey to the cross. Which is what gets us to eternity. So in order to enjoy this victory, you have to know this Jesus. And I ask you now, do you know him or do you know about him? Is he in your boat or is he in someone else's boat that you're just watching? It's time for him to be in your boat. And if you leave this building today without knowing for sure that Jesus is in your boat, you're missing it. You're missing it. And I want to challenge you to respond in this moment for that. Do you need to remember the promise that you're going to get to the other side because that storm is raging? It's a furious squall right now in your life. You need to remember the promise that the other side's coming and it's glorious. It's perfect. And it's for you. He didn't need to build more heaven for himself. He's building it for us. Is it time to wake up your faith? Is it time to admit that it's been stale, dormant, hibernating?
time for it to wake up and come alive this season to fight for your family? Do you need to put a stake in the ground for those in your circle that don't know Jesus and say, I'm not going anywhere until I fight for your heart? Are there people that are going to come visit that need to hear about Jesus? Are there people you're going to visit that need to hear about Jesus? Because if you give them a breakable present and don't share with them the gospel, shame on you. He put a stake in the ground for us. It's time for us to put a stake in the ground for him and experience the victorious king. Because that's what he's offering for us right there. It's time to join the fight. Jesus has already won. Let's go win with him. 